Okay, so we've uh, come to a place in our discipling process where we're going to zoom in on our witness, uh, the witness that every individual will walk out. So we've done eternal truths, we call them building blocks. We've done principles, practical implementation, the steps that enable us to walk out the eternal truths. We've done prayer and um, at some stage we want to witness to what we know, to what we've learned. We want to witness to the Word of God. Um, and we're not saying that you guys haven't tried and you haven't been out there, you haven't been witnesses. But I think we've given it a little bit of time so everybody could learn. Learning the hard way is often the best way. Mm -hmm. And now we want to start refining things and we want to um, help everybody understand strategies mm -hmm. and tools that are more effective than others. But today we're going to talk about the heart of witness more than anything else. Um, because we can look out there in this various ways that it has been done. We know the vibrant, high energy, go on the streets and pray for the sick kind of thing. We know that is one way of witnessing. But we have to focus on what is it that we want to witness. So I want to make a statement. If witnessing was just about getting people to believe that God exists, if that was what it was about, then I think the best witness that ever walked the earth would be Satan. Besides the Lord. Besides the Lord himself. <laughs> think about it. Besides the Lord, the most effect, the most uh, definite proof that God exists would be uh, Satan. Anybody that can that realize, come to the realization that there is a spiritual creature uh, with all the descriptions that we know about Satan, I mean, that would be infallible proof that there must be a God. And yet, this doesn't lead to faith, does it? Well, it could, long term. But I mean, isn't it interesting that Satanists don't believe in God? They know God exists. Strange, eh? Most of the world have some concept of the devil, and yet this does not lead them to faith or salvation. So, we <clears throat> first thing we want to understand is that our witness out there is not to convince people that God exists. It's part of it, but that's not the main focus. It's not the purpose. Not the purpose. So let's look at witness a little bit. And we're going to guide everybody into a place where we have our hearts um, positioned in a way that we can witness more effectively. Mm. And we're going to look at why witness, how witness, and um, strategies to do it. So, and what's the What's the purpose? What's the result that we want to go for? Mm. Okay. What's the motivations? Mm. Start.
start us off with the scriptures so, and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so like you said, we're going to give some guidance on how to align our hearts with the Lord's, because in the end, He is the witness. We know in Revelation it says that He is the faithful witness. And um, just in in comment to the whole Satan, besides the Lord being the most effective witness, <clears throat> the big difference between, well not the big, that's not the only difference, but the difference between the witness that Satan would carry and that which the Lord carries, the big difference is that even though they both in some way come from God, the Lord had been sent as a witness. So they both come from heaven, from the heavenly realm. But Satan wasn't sent to witness. Yahushua was sent to witness. Um, I'm going to read for us from John chapter 8. And in the, in the piece where the Lord is speaking to the Pharisees about who their father is, and I'm going to pick it up from, verse, from the middle of verse 39. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Yahushua said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself but he sent me. And so we might read that and think that he's just repeating himself and saying that he's come from God and he's come from God. But what he's saying is he came forth from God, but he was also sent by God. He didn't decide to just come. If that makes sense. And then he says, why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. Um, and we're not going to read the rest of that now. But so, just now back to, we want to look at the heart of witness. And specifically, we're in a season where we're focusing on our witness. And this becomes important because we're going to look at, and we're going to explore a bit, what it means for us to be sent as witnesses. So it's one thing to believe that we want to be witnesses, and one thing to believe that we do come from God. But we're going to look at and try to understand what it means to be sent in what capacity we are each synced within the body, what our place is and how we fill that place to be effective in our witness, to do what we have been synced to do. Um, yeah, so do you have the rest of the scriptures? So, <laughs> this is an interesting aspect, the synced. Because when the Lord said to his disciples, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in my name, and teach them to do, to live out, to obey what I have told you and taught you. That was the official sending of all of his children. 
So on the one hand, we don't have to necessarily wait until the Lord speaks to us specifically. Um, and yet there's a equal truth uh, where we seek Him to send us. Because there's also an individual unctioning where the Lord will release you out there and send you. So we start off, just to make it clear, with wanting to obey what we call the Great Commissioning. Because mm. we come from the line of the disciples and we are all witnesses. We receive the Holy Spirit to witness. So we know that. And with that heart of knowing that we have to go, we seek Him to send us. Keep that in mind as we go through these scriptures. So, <clears throat> we're going to move into the heart of it as we progress through the teaching. But first, we'd like to just cover some practical aspects. So, let's read Matthew chapter 12. <coughs> no. Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to read from verse 14. So the Lord has just healed the man's hand, the withered hand. And we pick it up. It says, Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. But when Yahushua knew it, he withdrew from there. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. This scripture, this prophecy, I feel is such a beautiful demonstration and illustration of truly the heart of witness. So as a, as a ministry, we understand that we have a correctional mandate. And oftentimes we have to look at the greater church world and consider what is happening, not to criticize nor to judge, but to understand where we are positioned and where the church needs to go to, what the body of Messiah needs to grow into. And this could sometimes come across as criticism, but that's not the intent behind it. As a ministry, we understand that we have a mandate to, to correct. And so many people who will come in will receive correction, but it's because this is a correcting ministry. But this does not mean <coughs> that on an individual level that we, are, that we have all been given the mandate to go out and correct each individual. If a person uh, presents himself or herself as teachable and wanting to receive correction, then there are ways to do that. 
but we do not go out with the onset to correct, to seem like we are criticizing or like we are judging. And so we see truly here the heart behind what we are called to do on an individual level. On an individual level, as we witness to other individuals, because let's face it, we won't just be sent to a nation first, we will be sent to individuals again and again. And this is truly the heart that we want to show each individual that we are gifted the chance with to witness the Lord too. It says, he will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. So the point is not to speak a lot. The point is not to try and show someone how much we know. The point isn't even to try and convince them of truth and try to prove to them truth. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. Oftentimes we forget that a person we are speaking to, if they have not come into full truth, they are broken. They are broken, they are sick, they are dead in their sins, and they are full of pain. There would be no point in trying to hurt them with truth or break them further. If they have started waking up out of their sleep, out of their anesthesia, out of their coma, then they are even more aware of the pain that is in their bodies. They are completely lost. They are in utter darkness. And there would be no point to try and quarrel with them, to try and prove them wrong and prove ourselves right. There's no point in breaking a broken reed. Oftentimes, when a person is... um being brought by the Lord to a place where they can start receiving truth. It's like someone that's just woken up out of uh, often uh, surgery. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit confused. Uh, sometimes their actions doesn't make sense. And um, we've got to keep this in mind. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about the Pharisee that is... Yes. Um, going to be stiff-necked and unteachable and and are going to defend the religious position. We're talking about witnessing to God's, potentially to God's people. And um, this is the heart we want to look at. So, when we encounter a person, the heart behind everything, the mindset is, what do they need and do, can I give it to them in a way that will be a gift? Mm. If there's an opportunity that the Lord presents us with, am I able to give the person that one piece of information simply because I've been blessed to be in the Word on a daily basis? I've been blessed that the Lord has revealed something to me and I can share it as a gift. It's very important that we don't become haughty or prideful because of the Lord's perfect will in where He has positioned us in the work on earth and the body. We're a discipling um, ministry. We're different from most other family churches in that respect. And so, because we have been blessed with a with an anointing for 
more technical and academic teaching. Um, we, we could think that we, we know more than others. We have to watch that it doesn't lead to pride. But we can never witness out of a place of pride. So right now, I want to remind all of us where we come from. It took the Lord close to 20 years to get me to understand what He was trying to teach me. And I'm a fool fivefold. He has blessed me from birth with the abilities to understand His Word. Mm. So the only thing I do well is anything, only gift I have is to read the Bible. Where other people can build machines or program computers, I can read the Bible. And the Lord has gifted me with that. And it still took him close on 20 years to get me to understand what's going on. Now let's talk about you guys. Um, can any of us... Now, firstly, I'm proud of you that you have persevered. You've, done a, you've been working hard. The level of devotion in this small group is... Um, is beyond, far beyond what I've ever seen. I know how devoted you guys are, how much time you put into your discipling and put into your time with the Lord. But let's be honest. Um, I can pick any one of you, and the truth would be that um, I had to be extremely patient. <laughs> we, we had to be extremely patient. And it's, it's great after a few years... That we, we, you know, when we at arrive at the place, I've had a few years of, of discipling, and now I know these, I understand these great, some of the great <laughs> truths. It could be easy for us to feel a little bit smug when we're talking to a poor lady that's all she's ever known is the Dutch Reformed Church. And it's not our place to feel smug or better. You know, it's just that. By the grace of God, He brought you to a place where there was a different process mm -hmm. to get to know the Bible. And <coughs> by grace, mm -hmm. God gave us the patience to stick with you through all the rebellions, <laughs> all the times you didn't want the truth necessarily that you were hearing. Um, and, and that's normal. It's just normal discipling. Um, so this is, this is the heart of witness that we want to focus on. It's not a very academic teaching today. It's about the reality, the heart behind everything that we're doing. Because we really want to see that each and every one of you are granted opportunities mm -hmm. by the Lord to bless others with all that you have received from Him. You can go out and try and minister all you want. If He doesn't give you an opportunity, it will be futile. I'm not saying we shouldn't read the Word of God on the street corners. It should still be done. But the guy that's screaming, the end of the world is coming and you must repent, he's not going to reach anyone. But if you, you know, 
I keep telling the story. It's one of my best memories. Is when we went out in Malmesbury or something on the street, and they had all the other guys had all kinds of uh, strategies to minister to people. There was a bunch of gangster-type colored guys that was coming f from the front, and you know the walk. The they looked mean, the strut. <laughs> and I walked up to the guy that I could see was probably the leader. I just walked up to him, I grabbed him, and I hugged him. Because I knew if I hugged him, I was going to hug him out of the presence of God, and the love of God was going to touch him. Mm. You know what happened? He burst out in tears. He wanted to get offended, he wanted to get aggressive, he burst out in tears. And the rest of the guys all wanted hugs. Because <laughs> all I did was manifest without words the presence of God. Mm. But I had to come out of the presence of God to do that. I wish that the presence of God would remain upon me and I could just take it everywhere I went all the time, but it doesn't work that way. We have to be in prayer, we have to be in the presence of God. And then we've um, learned to abide in Him. At times, we can bring some of His presence back to earth. And it's in those moments if you can touch someone with that. And all the academics and all the doctrine, is, that's not necessary. See, that's why Satan can appear in all his scary glory. <laughs> Believe me? Believe me? You see him? You're going to think it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. Until you realize that he's full of hatred. So he can appear and he'll impress a little bit. God doesn't do it that way. God will gently touch a person and change the entire world forever. So that's that, that scripture. I'd just like to also the smoking flax while we're on it. So it says in smoking flax he will not quench. Now if you think of, so if you, everyone knows when you, you light a piece of paper and you blow out the flame, there's always a little rim that looks like coals, but it's not really, the paper isn't burning anymore, but it's, there's still light, Small, there's still the a smoldering. spark, a smoldering. And everyone knows if you want to get the flame going again, Immediately you kind of would cup it so you protect it from any kind of weather. No wind has to blow and to protect it from the world. And then everyone knows there's a very soft blowing that you would apply. But you know if you blow too hard, it'll go out. If you blow too soft, it'll go out. And this is the kind of attitude we want. If we come across a person who might not be, the flame might not be burning actively. But it's not completely dead. There's a little smolder. Our attitude is going to be one of protecting the little bit that is there to see if we can help the flame light back up again, to protect it from the weather and the wind and the world and softly give it just enough air so that it can light back up again. That's the kind of attitude we, we find from this. And I just think it's such a beautiful illustration of there's no point in just blowing it out. If we blow too hard, we'll blow it out. If we don't protect it, it will go out by itself. And this is the kind of attitude we're looking at. Um, but back to the, 
the kind of just last bit of practical thing <coughs> to element to this teaching. <clears throat> As we are moving through a season, and we have been since the beginning of our beginning of our walks, we know that the Lord has given us all opportunities to witness and to practice witnessing, because this is also something we practice until we get better and better and more effective. And I'm sure we're all aware that the Lord works in a very interesting way when he gives us practicing uh, occasions, gifts. Usually... Has the Lord ever given you an opportunity to minister to someone and uh, a month later you say, Lord, can I have someone else? <laughs> Lord, this isn't going anywhere. Can I have a, a refund? <laughs> Lord, can you give me someone nicer to witness to because this person is it's irritating me now. <laughs> Let's be honest. I've seen it happen all around. Um... What are we going to talk about what that is? Why, why that is? So the Lord, if you think about it practically, here we are, freshly from the water, fresh from the grave, babies. We hardly know anything about the word. All we know is we have found ourselves in the presence of God and He was good and gracious and merciful and He saved us. But we know basically nothing. Now we run out What's the chances of him leading us to someone else who's supposed to come into the kingdom to be saved with us not knowing anything? We're still full of fool foolishness. We're still full of pride. We're still full of all of those things. What's the chance that the Lord is going to lead us first and foremost to someone else who needs to be helped, protected, encouraged? Probably not. But we have to now be careful. The, there's, yeah, that, there's that very short initial period. Yes, fair enough. Remember what happens there. Why, would, why is there the, the reality that sometimes right after our baptism, uh, we seem to just reach people, touch people. There's this. Why is that? Well, we, we, we will look at that. I don't want to give it away now. But yeah. that is... But we've got to just get this right. <laughs> We, we, have a, we, have, we have a disagreement. It's not a disagreement. So, so, so a little while after, for many people, that's when things really go cold. And we're going to have a look at, at why that happens. And that's that season where you want to go now. Yes, yes. Okay. So, so there's, there's, there might be, for many of us, a short period where we really don't know much. We don't have much knowledge to give. But we've been baptized. We've just been given life, just been renewed. And it will happen to many people that that's, they keep thinking back to that period of time as their most wonderful time when the Lord was using them. Then it goes cold, and then we go, why, Lord, how did I get that anointing back, that witness back? We're going to explain why that happens. Hmm. Let's first go to when it goes cold in that long period where... Hmm. You just can't seem to reach anybody with your witness. Let's talk about that first. Yes. Okay. So the reason is, obviously, we need to practice. We need to exercise to be an effective witness to the body, 
to members who need to be one with us, one with Him. <clears throat> but the reason the Lord gives us difficult customers in the beginning <laughs> is because He needs to give us real difficult soil to work on so that we can understand the value of it. But also because we still need to be changed. Our hearts still need to be softened. So he needs to help us get rid of our judgment, of our criticism, of all of those things. And so, that, so in the beginning, he would give us a few difficult customers. And practically, it would work like this. So we have three medical doctors here today. None of them are surgeons, but they have made some incisions, I'm sure. But should a medical student, because you can now testify, someone who studies medicine, They've just written their last exam. Now they need to start the practical exercising. And would it, would it be a good idea to go, great, you know all the theory, top of the class. Now you need to start practicing how to do surgery. So we've just received an emergency case. Would you mind go doing the operation? And we'll, we'll sort of guide you through it. Uh, you, you know what they do? They practice. get volunteers. Volunteers. You know, when they do trials with try? medication, <laughs> they do like a, a knee op, they get volunteers, you get paid a little bit. Would that be a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> From the reaction, I'm thinking it's not a good idea. <laughs> okay, so, first, if I'm correct, the first exercise or way you practice doing cuts and getting to know the physical body is on cadavers, right? They're already dead. So if you mess it up, it's not really a problem because the person is already, you can't actually kill him more. Okay, the damage has been done. You don't have to say you're sorry. No, the damage is done, so it's fine. But the fact of the matter is, it is a, it is a human body. So it's a replica of not a replica. This is the real thing. <laughs> well, it's dead, so it's basically a replica. It is the real thing, but the person isn't alive, so you can't do any damage. Okay. If you do get the opportunity to practice and you save his life, then well done. Well done. Well done. Okay, we get the picture. The same would be true for the spiritual walk, for the witnessing. If we're going to practice... And the Lord isn't necessarily going to send us to someone who is alive to try our cutting and surgery strategies on because chances are we're going to probably mess it up a little bit, even with the best of intentions, even with all the theory that we know. Okay. So firstly, we're going to practice on dead people. Dead people. <laughs> okay. But the problem isn't, not the problem, but the, the trick is that we won't know because they're not actually lying on the table. They are walking about. And so we will apply the same diligence, the same care, as we would to someone who is alive, because we don't know who they are in eternity. And so we cannot afford a slack attitude of, you know what, this is probably, the person is just probably difficult because they're not supposed to be saved, and the Lord just wants me to practice, so no harm done. That's not, we don't know. Maybe so they are. Just a bit context to that. We know from the book of Revelation that all people will not be saved. 
At the great judgment seat of the Lord, there's two groups. They are divided into two groups. Now, out of that reality, uh, when we say that He will give us someone that's not alive or someone that will not necessarily uh, come alive, we're talking about the uh, representatives from the group that is in the, the judgment today, um, not in Messiah, so those that would be rejected. So sometimes we'll get to practice um, witnessing to someone um, that is going to be part of that group one day. They didn't receive salvation, they didn't repent, not in the Lord. Now we don't know on this side who is who. And sometimes we would witness to somebody that whatever we do, we're not getting anywhere. It's, um, have you ever spoken to somebody and it's like they never hear you? And yet they'll come back and you're going, why is this person back? Why is he asking <laughs> questions again? And then you do your best and you pray for the person and all of that, but just it never enters, it never becomes truth in them. It's like the seeds won't grow. So what we're saying is sometimes the Lord in the beginning will rather have us practice on one of the group that's on the other side, that's not his children. Okay, so uh, refer back to outside of time and so to understand what we're talking about. Um, and he could, he could in the beginning days, he could send you your first person that the Lord entrusts to you mm. might be a son or daughter that has to get to know him. And what we're trying to say is that is why we would do our very best, mm. be careful um, in everything that we do, yeah. as if this is our one and only biggest opportunity yes. to witness to the Lord. Because this might be a brother or a sister in the Lord that's, that needs eternal life. Let's get back to the fact that sometimes He gives us so he would send us to somebody that's not going to get saved. Why does he do that? Because we still need to practice. Does it make sense? Mm -hmm. Now we're not going to think about what's fair and what's not fair. If the Lord wants you to practice and he knows, he knows that we tend to mess up. Sometimes we're just going to let us practice a little bit on someone that wasn't going to respond to the Lord anyways. He was going to always reject the truth, no matter who spoke to him. Whether it was Billy Graham or you, this person was just not going to get it. Mm -hmm. Normally that's caused by a love of sin mm -hmm. and a lack of the love of truth. Those are the mm -hmm. things that keep them away. But what do we do? Do we go like, speak to them once and go like, well, you don't want to hear me? Dust off my feet. Bye. That brings us to that part of the Bible. When do we dust off, when do we shake the dust off our feet? How do we know? How do we know when too much is too much? Because the last thing we want to do is quit too early. Yes. Uh, I'm sure it's something that we've all faced. How do we know? Can you take us through some more of those things? Yes. So, can I go to Acts? Hmm? Go to Acts? Hmm. Yes. Okay. So, we're going to look a little bit at a storyline in Acts. I'm not going to 
read for us specific details, but you can go read in your spare time. Uh, chapter 16 of Acts, all the way to chapter 20, basically. Or the end of chapter 19, at least. And um, we're going to look at one or two aspects of the storyline that's happening here, just in terms of the heart of witness and what we've now spoken about. So firstly, <clears throat> in history we know that Paul was mainly sent as an apostle to the Gentiles. We know that when he goes in the book of Galatians, it says when he went to uh, Jerusalem after 14 years, so it would be 17 years about in total since the Lord spoke to him, he met with the apostles there and it was established, it was agreed upon that uh, Peter had received the apostleship to the Jews and Paul had received the apostleship to the Gentiles. And we know that he's still ministering with Barnabas at that stage because he mentions him in the story. Okay, so about 17 years later, it says he's received the apostleship to the Gentiles. But when you go read through Acts, we see every time he enters a new city, the first place he goes is to the synagogue. And it says he reasons with the Jewish people from the scriptures and tries to show them from scriptures that Yahushua is the Messiah. And then in chapter 16, beginning of chapter 16, is when he finds Timothy and they start traveling together. We see that he even circumcises Timothy. And there would be the question, why? So Timothy has a Jewish mother but a Greek father. And it says that Paul circumcised him because he wanted to take him along to do the work. And everyone in that region knew that his father was a Greek. So I don't know how many of you have thought about why does Paul do this when he so clearly says mm -hmm. circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. And this after the event in Jerusalem <coughs> where they go there yes. because some of the people came from James and, and Jerusalem and they were telling believers in other places that they had to be circumcised. That's why Paul goes there to go sort this out once and for all. And this and so, is after yeah. this now. Because remember, uh, Paul and Barnabas split, and then only he finds Timothy. So this is after Galatia, uh, yeah, after the, what he refers to in the letter of Galatians, where he says he's received the apostleship to the Gentiles. Now, he circumcises Timothy to take him with him. So I'm sure many of you have wondered why. <clears throat> and I'm going to answer it with a, another scripture. So from here, they travel, 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 and then... In only when they come to Corinth, and this is in chapter 18, verse 6, he, okay, so let's read verse 5. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Joshua is the Messiah. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads, I am clean from now on. I will go to the Gentiles. Seems like something he should have said a long time ago because he's now already traveling with Timothy. And only now officially does he shake the dust off his feet. But now we see here in verse 19, and he came to Ephesus and left them, who's a Priscilla and Aquila, left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. 
And we see that from here on out, still he continues and goes to the synagogues and first reasons with the Jews. So what are we looking at? Even though he's received the apostleship to the Gentiles, this doesn't mean that he is no longer going to witness to the Jewish people. He still understands that in them, with them, among them, must be some of God's seed. And since he is an apostle, and since he knows the truth, and since he has been sent as a witness, he is still going to witness to them. And so, why does he circumcise Timothy? Well, if he wants Timothy to travel with him, then first of all, he can, it cannot be said of him that he is traveling with a Gentile, eating with a Gentile and staying with a Gentile, because then he would be considered unclean and would not be able to enter the synagogue himself until he goes through cleansing rituals. Secondly, Timothy would not be able to witness with him to the Jews if he remains uncircumcised. So Paul, knowing full well that circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing in the eternity perspective, is still going to take the necessary steps that would enable him to effectively be able to minister to the Jews, even though he has officially received the apostleship to the Gentiles. Do you see the attitude? Do we see the heart? And so back to the question of when do we know it's time to shake the dust off our feet? Well, I found that usually the Lord officially would release a person. But even then, we take care to guard our hearts and close ourselves off from ever witnessing to that person or a similar person or a group again. Because we see that not even Paul writes off the Jews completely. He still goes back to them. He still, for the, for the sake of God's seed, for the sake of God's children, for the sake of his brothers and sisters, he will continue to witness from what he has to save some. So just, um, just the mindset, just the uh, kind of starting point. What Timothy is seeing is that Paul is very effectively ministering to people in Ephesus or Philippi or one of those. Even Athens. Athens. Now that's easy. Okay, let's go to those people, all the nations. Now Paul says to Timothy, I want you to also be ready to minister with me to the Jews. They have tried to kill me. They've been chasing me all over the place. Sometimes I have to escape cities at night. They want to stone me. And I want you to I want you to have enough grace and love to also minister to them. Timothy could say, Yeah, okay, I'm willing. He says, Okay, but to do that <laughs> You're a grown boy, Timothy. To do that you're going to have to make a little sacrifice. <laughs> Okay, now this would be a real test to go, yes, I'm, I'll even go through the pain to be willing to minister to them. The Jews that we, you know you're probably never going to get any fruit from that whole thing. You know that nine out of ten of them, they have been versed in the scriptures. They have a culture that they will not give up. <coughs> The probability of you reaching a Jew in your lifetime is very, very small. And yet he's willing to do whatever it takes to, to still try. 
see the heart mm-hmm. behind it. Now we can understand why Timothy is entrusted by the Lord later on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Attitude. Now, I'm sure that for Timothy, that didn't have to be circumcised for any good reason. Every time that he did speak to a Jew, he would have a small reminder of how precious it is to have an opportunity, even if you don't have fruit in it. Sometimes the hardship that we have to go through, anybody that's going to witness to the Lord, really witness to the Lord, they'll pay for it. You'll be reviled, rejected, disrespected. Those are the easy ones. Sometimes they'll do you harm physically. Um, Family members will say horrible things about you when you walk the true road with Messiah. Friends will forsake you. Um, And in the church world, the Pharisees will persecute you when you walk the true world. So the true road. So there's certain amount of sacrifice and pain that will go come through that. But you know what? Later on, when you in the beginning times when you're going through all the pain and the the shock of being rejected by family members, ridiculed by friends. Um it's not nice in the beginning, but later on they will do it to you and you'll remember the price you've paid to be able to witness. If you've gone through it over and over and over, you've seen financial loss, you've helped uh, people and they've stabbed you in the back and then you've helped them again, taken them into your home and they stole all your stuff. We've <laughs> been through that. Then, and next time you do it again. And then yeah. you do it again. Mm-hmm. And you encounter the person that you're going to witness to, and you know they're lying to you. You're still going to love them, and you're still going to allow them to steal from you, and you're still going to do it again. Mm. Later years, it's the price you've paid that actually gives you the drive to continue, to love, to really love, because you've paid a price for it. Mm -hmm. I've often seen um, zealous Zealous people that easily came into big churches and they get this training and then they run out into the street full of full of zeal and um, it looks wonderful. But I've often seen them run out of steam later. Because mm. you see they didn't go through the circumcision first. Mm. They didn't go through those steps that's going to give you the right heart attitude for with witnessing. So we might just now speak about the stances. This the three stances. So the one is coming in, one is there and then turning back. Do you want to describe that for us? Um this is the three stances of the priest until he gets to actually witness. So the three stances in the sight of God. It's the heart of prayer, the heart of worship, and the heart of witness. And we see this beautifully illustrated by the 
the high priest in the tabernacle. So, <clears throat> uh, on the Day of Atonement, as he is to enter the Holy of Holies, the process would start with him in prayer, praying for the nation, praying for himself, making sure that his mind and his heart has been cleansed and sanctified, uh, praying back to God what he knows, the truth he knows. And, um, and as we look as, at his walk, his journey into the tabernacle, into the holy place, first he would enter the outer court and there would be the altar for sacrifice and the labor for washing. And so this would also represent that prayerful attitude, being aware of what God has provided, of the sacrifice that he has provided, of the sanctification that he has provided. And then he moves into the holy place, where we also find the altar of worship. Now, worship has two, two elements to it, and that would be one of thanksgiving, which is ordered and disciplined and intentional. But then there is also the kind of worship that we see that happens to Moses and Abraham. It's an involuntary kind of worship where we find ourselves in the presence of God or overwhelmed by the knowledge of God and the presence of God, but there's an involuntary falling down, an involuntary worship attitude that we find ourselves in that erupts from being in the presence of God or having the knowledge of God, a revelation of God. And this is, we see what happens as the high priest moves into the Holy of Holies. So, first he would enter in a prayerful attitude, prayerful mindset, sanctifying his mind, his thoughts and his heart. And this would lead to voluntary, disciplined worship as he moves through the holy place. But then as he moves into the Holy of Holies, there would be the involuntary aspect of worship where all of a sudden he finds himself in the presence of the very glory of God hovering above the mercy seat and as he sprinkles the blood of the sacrifice he would have an overwhelming revelation and, and, and understanding of the goodness of God the mercy of God the grace of God the forgiveness of God willingness of God to save and from his heart would erupt naturally an involuntary sense of worship of gratitude of thanksgiving and praise and it's from this position that he can turn around and walk out to where the people are waiting outside and now in him has developed through this process a heart of witness because as he emerges from the holy place pulling back the curtain and the people see he has come back out he will witness to them without having to say anything without having to do anything his coming out of the presence of God will witness to the nation of Israel the forgiveness of God the mercy of God the goodness of God the willingness of God to forgive and this is how the heart of witness is developed. 
<clears throat> so we're looking, we did do, went through teaching on praise and thanksgiving. These are intentional, these are disciplined and directional in our actions. But these are the two aspects of worship that will lead us to the involuntary response to God. So, in the, when it comes to the heart of prayer, the heart of prayer, firstly, is voluntary, disciplined and directional, the heart of prayer. It's a discipline. We understand the mechanics of prayer, and we intentionally go through the legitimate steps of prayer. So the heart of prayer is intentional, voluntary, and disciplined and directional. This would bring us to the heart of worship. And we all know what that feels like. When you've gone into prayer or worship through song or music and you find yourself in an involuntary mm. response where it feels like the tears want to gush out of your eyes but you're not sad. Mm. It feels like your heart melts in your chest and gushes out like a fountain of water because uh, you're pouring out something to the Lord that mm. you cannot put into words. It feels like you want to collapse uh, while also jump up and down. Or That's the f what we see in the lives of the great men and women in the Bible when it says, and he fell on his face. Mm. And he fell on the face and he ministered unto the Lord. He worshipped the Lord. It's that. It's when the temple was inaugurated and the glory of God came and settled upon the Holy of Holies. The crowd outside, the Israelites outside, they just erupted into a kind of worship that nobody was planning. Nobody was thinking about it before. It just erupts. Mm. That's the heart of worship. So you have the heart of prayer, and that's the voluntary. The heart of worship is what the response is when you've gone through, through the heart of prayer. But out of those two stances, we get the stance of witness or the heart of witness. You cannot have the stance or the heart of witness without the other two stances. So the priest has to intentionally walk towards the tabernacle, through the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies, and then on the turning around and coming out, that's where the witness lies. Mm -hmm. We see that in the moments when Moses comes down the mountain, it says that his mm -hmm. face was shining with holiness and glory. Isn't that the same basis on which Messiah came to witness? He, his witness was that he came from the Father, that the Father sent him. See, if his witness was just that the Father sent him, it would have been only half as effective. There's two parts to it. He came forth from the Father, and the Father sent him. Now, we want to make sure that we 
cultivate that heart for witnessing. Not just walking around saying, the Father had sent me. That's the great commissioning and we want to obey that. But it's by no means enough. So we want to cultivate a mindfulness and an obedience to the fact that the Father sent me. But I have to fulfill that command out of a place where I came forth from the Father. Came from His presence. This is the hard part of witnessing. This is the difficult part of witnessing. This is the hard work part of witnessing. Because it's easy to run out there. Now we're getting to the heart of witnessing. Only speak to those that you are willing to pray for. So the recipe is this. One part talk to a million parts of prayer. That's how you mix the solution for witness. One part talk to a million parts of prayer. See, you will have the right to speak into the life and the heart of a person if you have spent the hours in the night sitting in the presence of God for the life and the heart of that person. When you have cried on your knees in the middle of the night on a cold winter's night in the dark, when you've cried in the presence of the Lord, then you can go out and the Lord will give you opportunity to bless that person with something. See, most of you have been discipled enough in the Bible. You have a hundred different pieces of truths that we can go and try and shove down somebody's throat. And uh, that which we take, it's truth, it's real. You know? You can give me a panel of a hundred pastors they're not going to prove the doctrine wrong. But I would be wrong to correct them if I cannot pray for them and love them. Even if they're not right at the moment. It's not because I'm right. It's because every bit of knowledge that I've been granted out of the Bible, I prayed for it, I sought it, I cried for it. Why did I cry for it? Why, do I, why did I get to the place where I understand the Bible? You know why I was seeking it? I was seeking it for His people. I wasn't seeking it for me. I was confronted in my walk with people's questions, people's need, and I didn't have the answers. You know why people would ask me the answers? Because I came out of His presence. So, so I could touch them with the fact that I came forth from them. They could see it, they could sense it, they could know it. But when they asked the questions, I didn't have the answers. So it caused me to spend hours on my face, crying. I would sit at my desk and cry. And say, Lord, I'm reading through this, I don't understand. 
if I don't understand how can I be effective in helping others find the answer? I can't go to keep going to them and tell them God is good, but I can't answer their questions. And I remember the exact moment when the Lord was taking me through the scriptures. He was talking to me and I sobbed. I literally slumped over my desk and I said, Lord, you keep explaining this stuff to me. I don't understand. I don't have the capacity to understand what you're saying to me. I want to understand. I, I know the world needs these things. I could see God's people being hurt by those people that were ministering to them that didn't understand the Bible themselves. They didn't understand God's kingdom themselves. They were trying to do their best. But they were hurting people because they didn't understand. And I didn't want to do that to God's people. And that's when he said to me, He can give us more capacity. But it's only to understand Him. It's not to be used for other things. And he opened up my understanding. It's a gift. But he gave it to me not so I could understand. Because he loves his people. And he wants his people to know him. That's why your heart of witness has to be humble. And it has to be sacrificial. We always have to come from an understanding that as a saint... I've been equipped by someone for the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry is to go and bind up, to go and love on people. It's the person that's never going to accept the truth and never going to love the Lord, we have to, we have to love them as well. But we love them first by the truth. Okay? And yes, we can, we can be straightforward. We have to be straightforward. We don't dress things up. You've heard me say to a person, you've heard this before. A person speaks to me, I say to him straight, it's your demon speaking. Because I'm trying to reach the person inside and see if he wants truth. Okay? But we have to define where we're all at. So, the, the test is going to be, when the Lord has you, well, sometimes we just started testifying to someone, not even sure if it was the Lord. And sometimes it was the Lord that we get you in a position where you are trying to share truth and faith with the person. And this person would just, just as you give up on them, they phone you again, or they ask you a question again. Man, early days, I would get up early, drive to people's homes to take them to church, and we had an agreement, they phoned me Saturday, will you please pick me up, I want to go to church. Get there Sunday morning, and I go, oh, I overslept, sorry. Next week, I would do it again. Man, did I do it over and over and over and over. Because it's not about whether they're actually messing me around or wasting my time. It's about, I don't know if the Lord is having me practice on this person 
because he cannot entrust me with another person yet. Maybe if I prove that I will love and serve and bless with this person that's wasting my time, then eventually the Lord will have, would have equipped me to the place where He can actually entrust me with one of His treasures. Most of the times when we struggle to see results in our witnessing, it's probably because we just messed up. It's time for us to be real and honest with ourselves. Maybe I spoke too much. Maybe I was prideful or judgmental while I was speaking to the person. Maybe instead of love, I was communicating pride. And that's why I didn't have a breakthrough with the person. Maybe I said all the right things in the wrong way. Maybe I still haven't forgiven the person for the last time they messed me around and now I'm trying to share truth with them. It's true, I've been there. Okay, and maybe I just thought I was better than them. That's why I didn't have breakthrough in witnessing to them. And maybe the Lord is sending me back there all the time so that I can repent. Maybe the Lord is saying, I'm going to send you back to that person that insisted we come from aliens. <laughs> I've read that. I've ministered to a guy over and over. His theology was there was a spaceship that came and we <laughs> really came from us. that. It's not completely wrong. We do come from another <laughs> place. So, <laughs> uh, we did originate from an alien. An alien is an extraterrestrial... <laughs> not E.T. Not okay, so, so the person, he was wearing me out. I mean, he would, I, would be, I would have to preach in the early morning. He would go, can I see you? Just before I had to go preach, I get, up, I get to his house. He tells me, I'll only trust you if you have a beer with me. I've got to see that you are, are not a snob. I said, I'll have a beer. Just give me a beer. What's your questions? I'm thinking, man, I'm going to walk into church to preach <laughs> and I'm smelling like beer. But if I can reach this guy, it's It'll worth it. You know? And the guy did get saved eventually. It made my life difficult. <laughs> He had me late for church so often. Then I'd have to be, and then he said, now I don't feel like going to church anymore this morning. I already ch I've already had you here, so I'll see you next time. And I go, great. And then, you know what? He phones again and says, I've got a question. Sure, I'll come, and I'll see you. And he got saved. So... Sometimes, and this is actually just the big point, we're going to talk a little bit about more where this goes. I want everybody to hear this and remember this. Sometimes we're not seeing the fruit of our witness because the Lord is still teaching us to do it right. <laughs> now we did refer to that beginning, so sometimes in the beginning of our walk, when we first get saved, it was like we could just reach people. I know in the, f the first six months to a year, everybody was getting saved around me. I knew very little. You know what? Because I had just come out of the presence of the Lord. It wasn't that I was, I thought I was brilliant. I thought I was the 
next Ronald Bonke. You went wrong. I had just come out of the presence of the Lord. That's why people were able to hear me. And then slowly but surely, I got worse and worse at evangelizing. Okay, let's talk about his witness now. So, on that note, it would be reasonable to say that we can only be effective in witnessing if we can witness unto the Lord. So if we are able to witness unto the Lord, then only can we be an effective witness to others. So if we look at... Sorry, yes? Sorry for interrupting you. No? I want everybody to check your hearts. Does anybody have a little bit of a pang, Lord? <laughs> Maybe I can't work. Okay, that's okay. We learn to do that. Did, did, did that happen? Anybody go, ooh, I can't witness to the Lord effectively yet. Okay, so let's acknowledge it. So when that happens, don't ignore it. Lift it up to the mm -hmm. Say, Lord, I want to minister to you. I want to witness unto you. Teach me. Don't ignore those things that happens right here. It's a good desire. Okay, move mm -hmm. on. <clears throat> so the witnessing unto the Lord is basically much of what we've spoken of already today. Um, but the reason this, this happens, so, and the reason it works this way, so if we look at the Lord Yahushua himself as he's walking the earth, since he is the Son of God, and since he is full of the Holy Spirit, it would be reasonable to think that he has a witness in himself of himself that he can show to the world, and then they would respond. And he does. But we see that he himself also maintains a, a specific attitude. So in John chapter 5, from verse 31, he says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true and then he speaks about John he says you have sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth yet I do not receive testimony from man but I say these things that you may be saved and then we see I'm going to read from verse 36 but I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the father has given me to finish the very works that I do <coughs> bear witness of me that the father has sent me and the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. And uh, there are more scriptures which I'd like to read, but I'll, I'll send them to you. But I'm going to read John chapter 17 with the Lord's Prayer before he's crucified. And verse 8 says, he's praying to the Father and he says, For I've given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. And I've known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. So the Lord isn't trying to witness of himself. 
he says to his disciples and he prays to the father of his disciples and of his apostles that the reason they receive his witness is because the father has testified of him because the father has confirmed his witness and we know that this is true because both the apostles john and peter make it very clear that they're believing in the lord and they know that he had the power, he had the authority, he had the, the love and the grace and was exuding the mercy and the forgiveness of God. But they're not basing their belief in him on what he carried. If we go look at their testimonies, they always pinpointed back to specific points. Their believing in the Son of God is based on the fact that at his baptism, the heavens opened and the Father proclaimed, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And he did this on the transfiguration on the mount. And it is to this point that they always connect their belief in the Lord, their belief in his witness, their trust in his witness and what he said and his authority. And so the reason we can only be effective in ministering to others once we have ministered or witnessed to the Lord is because of this dynamic. If our witness is accepted in the sight of God, our witness unto Him. And this means that as we walk in the world and witness to the world, then the Lord will confirm our witness. The Lord will witness to others our witness. And so we don't have to walk around trying to feel like we need to witness to others from ourselves. We need to convince them of our witness. No. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians when he speaks about the to somewhere we are the aroma of death leading to death and the others the aroma of life leading to life he says but we speak in the sight of God through Messiah mm -hmm. this is the attitude we maintain we witness to God in the sight of God and if we can do that then the Lord will witness to our witness he will confirm our witness and it goes even, it's even more beautiful than that. So, when we looked at the high priest and his heart of witness, when he is in the holy of holies, gazing upon the glory of God, he's not only looking and perceiving and beholding the Father, he's not even only perceiving the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the one God, Yahweh. He is beholding, he is gazing upon, he is ministering to the entire glory cloud. So in his prayer, in his worship, his heart of prayer, his heart of worship, he is now finding himself in the presence of the entire glory cloud. And it is unto the entire glory cloud, unto all that has been made one with the Father and with the Son in the Spirit, that he is now ministering and witnessing the salvation plan of God. And so now, when he turns around and comes from that presence, he can witness unto the nation of Israel in the physical, because he has witnessed unto them in the Spirit. And this is the same for us. So if we come from the presence of God and if we have ministered or witnessed to God in His sight and His presence, we have not only ministered to the Father individually, we have ministered and we have witnessed unto the entire glory cloud, all that is one 
with him. And if we could do that effectively in eternity, then it means now when we do meet a brother or a sister who is with us in eternity, then before we have spoken a word to them in this world, we have already witnessed to them in eternity. And now our witness can be effective. Now the Lord can witness by his spirit to that person effectively because we have already done the work in the spirit in eternity. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 that we love and adore so much. Now this would be a little bit mind-bending, but we've laid a lot of groundwork for our understanding. So the work of God, it says in Hebrews, are finished. Okay. We always bring us back to this concept. We are in the world right now, but if the world of God, the work of God is finished, then it means that actually this world on His side has already passed away. Now the two can coexist and both be true at the same time. We know that Messiah, Yahushua, is the beginning and in the beginning He created the heavens and the earth. But He could not create man in His image and His likeness if He had not already become the perfect image and likeness of God. This we know the Bible said that He, did, that he achieved through His suffering and obedience. So in reality... Because the cross of Messiah is outside of time, just like God lives outside of time and space as we know it, He came in a certain time period on earth, because time is only applicable to earth. He came, He died on the cross, and He was resurrected. From there, He goes outside of time, because anything in the kingdom of the heavens outside of time, and now he can create man in his perfect image and likeness. I know this is mind-boggling in the beginning, right? Because see, he couldn't create us in his image if he had not become the perfection of man and God in redemption yet. Okay, so now, consider that whole scenario. Right. Now, this is where we come to that glory cloud perspective. So you meet somebody that doesn't know God. Yet, there's a recognition in the spirit. You meet an absolute scoundrel, but yet you recognize each other. Living on opposite sides of the great divide, and yet you just know there's a connection in the spirit because this is going to be one of God's sons or daughters. Why are they also feeling the connection with you? Because while I was generally praying for the salvation of God's sons and daughters in the sight and presence of God, I was, I was ministering unto and in fellowship with that person in eternity while on earth they're not even saved yet. They're part of the glory cloud. Out of that time and effort in the night of praying for the salvation of God's sons and daughters, that moment when I meet this person where we, there's this recognition, that comes out of all those hours of praying in the presence of the whole glory cloud. Because it's very logical, his body cannot be his body only when everybody has died and now has gone to heaven. Because that means he doesn't have a body now. Now if we are his body, 
then we have to factor in the finished work of Messiah outside of time. Okay. See, this is why we can make these statements that actually, when we are praying in the Spirit, in the presence of God and ministering unto the Lord, witnessing unto the Lord only in His presence, out of that we could actually have that connection with the person that we're going to meet next week that are going to come to salvation, that are going to become one body with us and actually become a very significant part of our lives. Okay. So from the outside the box stuff, let's go back to what the Bible says. Okay. <clears throat> so, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. The elders obtained a good testimony. From who? Okay, now verse 4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead still speaks. So again, here we see that dynamic. Now remember, when Abel brought his sacrifice to the Lord, <clears throat> he was one of four people. Adam and Eve had already known God and Cain was also there. But he wasn't actively witnessing to anyone. He just brought his sacrifice to the Lord. He was ministering unto the Lord. And since this ministering unto the Lord was accepted by the Lord, the Lord could testify of his gifts. <clears throat> and so this is what it says. It says, because he could minister unto the Lord and his sacrifice, his ministering unto the Lord was accepted by the Lord, was found righteous in the sight of God. God could confirm his witness. God could testify of his witness. And so Abel, going to heaven shortly after, did not have to actively witness to any person in person. But since the Lord had witnessed to his witness, since the Lord had confirmed his witness, he was able to witness for all time. And this again, this is the simplest way of understanding the out of sight of the box concept that we just spoke of. You see, as he was ministering unto the Lord, and his focus was just on the Lord, his focus wasn't necessarily to minister to individuals in the glory cloud. He was ministering unto the Lord. And because of that, because of his ministry unto the Lord, who is also the glory cloud, his witness could be accepted by all those sons and daughters who would walk the earth for the rest of time. There's the reality that Abel's witness on that day became condemnation for Cain. This brings us back to the reality that we will wholeheartedly uh, minister unto the Lord so that we can minister unto people. And the Lord's witness will not only bring salvation and blessing. A steadfast and true witness will bring condemnation to some. This is why we will lovingly and patiently 
share the truth of who God is with anybody and everybody because everybody has to hear the gospel once. For some salvation, for some condemnation. That is n not up to us. We don't, tr we don't look with eyes of judgment at anyone. One guy that looks like he's rejecting the gospel today might be the very person that's going to receive salvation in 10 years' time. And a person that looks like they accept the gospel straight away might be the very person that rejects it in the future. So we steadfastly remain patient and kind. We remain hopeful and faithful. We're straightforward. We don't have to make it cuddly for anybody. Uh, the thing that's going to make it effective is the Lord witnesses to your witness in a person's presence. I've had people say to me, we perceive, we acknowledge that you come from the Lord. We just don't like what you're saying. Strange thing. That the Lord would witness to them and testify to them that yes, I'm speaking on his behalf. And yet they don't like what I'm saying, so they'll reject that. That's fine, it's between them and God. Yeah. The important thing is that we come out of the presence of God. So the, the three postures, the three positions, <coughs> the three stance, stances. Okay, The stance or the heart of prayer. The heart of worship will enable you and give you the heart of witness. You cannot develop the heart of witness outside of those other things. And there, out of that, we can start the next step and process in wanting to witness. Now, this is going to be a short. The next step is, now you can, you can start to seek the Lord for opportunity. Now, don't expect the Lord to give you opportunity if you have not been seeking Him for it. It means that in the morning, you beseech Him for any opportunity whatsoever. Lord, entrust me. I've been equipping. You can't ask the Lord to entrust you with an opportunity if you haven't been equipping. <laughs> Yet people do that. You've got to make sure that what comes out of your mouth is right and true. And if you're not sure about something, just... Don't talk about it until you're sure. We've got to make sure that the, whatever we say is biblically correct, eternally correct, it's from the Lord. But we've got to make sure more than that, not only what we say, that we have come out of His presence. Now, feel free to start asking Him, Lord, give me one opportunity to love someone. Now, don't pray that prayer, and then when he gives you someone that's unlikable and unlovable, it sounds wrong. Some people are more difficult to love than others. See, that's why we develop a heart and a constitution where we love from a different place. Okay. Now, the Lord might entrust you with somebody that's difficult and offensive. What if you try, what if the Lord, the person that the Lord gives you an opportunity insists on blaspheming the Lord's name in every second sentence? You can't get offended. It's not our job to defend the Lord. 
He can do that by himself. He was willing to die on the cross. We have to love them. And then we have to deliver to them the truth that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. We have to know when it's enough, when to keep quiet and when to walk away. So we, part of it is to learn to just do enough. That's why we ooh, oops, nearly hung myself. <laughs> that's why, just in closing, that's why in the previous teaching we made it very clear. And we need to start from this point of view, that the person that you're speaking to, and especially, look, we are going to be used by God primarily to speak to people that think they're believers, people that come from a church background. Why? Because of the nature of the ministry that we are. Okay. Um, the Lord wants to equip, has equipped us so that we can help people see that some things in the Bible are not what they thought it was, and it doesn't say what they thought it said. Okay, now every person you, that's why we said, every person you speak to, remember that they, their perspective is a linear timeline. Beginning, cross, church age, end. That's what they've got. It's all they've got. Okay? Now, it's not just wrong. We've factored this in. From their perspective, from our earthly perspective, it's a, okay. when a person says the moon is high tonight, they've got things that they say. Is it true? Well, a full moon. well only from my perspective it's true. It's, it's actually, in, in the, if you look at the big picture of what's true, it's not true at all. Okay, so, or the moon is out tonight. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, as far as the moon is concerned, it's been out every night. Okay? And it's been full every night. So, so it's a perspective thing. Just a perspective thing. Okay, so somebody might say, the sun is really hot today. It's true, but it's not really true, is it? From the sun's perspective, it's just another day. Everything's the same as it's been, always been. One day. From where I'm standing, the sun is really hot today. Okay, so remember that every person that you speak to is going to first come from that perspective because theology on earth traditionally has been based on a man's perspective of God over there. So we have managed to interpret the Bible from our perspective. Linear timeline. There's not a, so that's, that's not just wrong. It's just from eternity and, and perspective of full truth, it's wrong. The problem is, we, what we've got a factor in is that because of that idea, they, ha, they have a misunderstanding regarding covenant. Because they have old covenant and new covenant. They have a misunderstanding of Messiah himself because, see, if he was born here, then they can't fathom that he was also already there because he was just born here. So that's why we see Peter when he uh, witnesses to the fact that the Messiah went back in the Spirit to minister to those people when the long-suffering of God was waiting for the ark to be finished, they interpret it that Messiah went into, uh, what's it? Uh, Sheol. Sheol. Yeah. <laughs> so the interpretation, a logical, if you, if you use this timeline, the logic, only logic is that he went and he ministered to dead people. See what they came up with. 
only because they have this. So always keep in, in mind that we want to do is present them with the possibility, bend this for them, bend it outward for them. The possibility, and it's very easy, we did that, mm -hmm. various ways. So when you, you, cannot, you cannot affect their, their, their doctrine if you don't start with the timeline, the perspective. Time and space is what <coughs> their reality is. So a simple question like, into what baptism was Yahushua baptized? That's all you need to do. You see, questions they would have never asked and answers they would have never heard. The moment you ask them, then they are faced with the reality that there cannot be more than one baptism for Yahushua. Was he baptized into the baptism of John? Or was he baptized into his own baptism? The proof is that the Holy Spirit was poured out on him. So it cannot be the baptism of John. So now you have absolutely a position that you've take, put them in and yourself in where they cannot debate themselves out of that stance. If he was baptized into his own baptism, it means that before his death and resurrection, he, he was given the reward for, that came out of his victory. How is that possible? It doesn't seem fair. This puts you outside of time straight away. Now all you have to do is go, okay, so we see the same Lord that received his baptism before he actually died and was resurrected, we see him serving the Lord's Supper to Abraham in the wilderness. What's that about? <laughs> so now it's not a big leap to mm. help that person understand that the cross is always available because the cross exists outside of time. Because every other person that ever ministered to them said to them that they have to invite Messiah into their hearts and they have to go to the cross to be forgiven by their sins. So they've actually always believed in the cross outside of time, the time they didn't know it. Now, from that, you can very easily help the person get rid of the linear timescale that forces every person to interpret the Bible in a different way than it's supposed to be interpreted as. And if you can move a person to eternity mindset, you can set their mind free enough to actually find the true God of outside of time, true God of creation. Okay, so keep these things in mind. So when it comes to the heart of witnessing, we equip, we keep our wits about ourselves and we keep the heart in the right stance. See, what the high priest is actually witnessing to is the whole salvation plan. Because in going into the Holy of Holies, you have the Ark of the Covenant with the law on the inside. You have the mercy seat where the blood of the Lamb is sprinkled. You have the glory cloud above that. That's the eternal finished work of Messiah and of God. Now when he comes out of that, that's what he's witnessing to the people. 
the whole salvation plan if only the Israelites realized. But this is what you should be witnessing to all those aspects. We'll continue with this series. I think, um, please go meditate on the simple teaching, <coughs> the stance of the heart, the attitude of the heart. Is that what we can do for this week? <coughs> Amen.